welcome to the Research Culture Uncovered podcast, where in every episode we explore what is research culture and what should it be. You'll hear thoughts and opinions from a range of contributors to help you change research culture into what you want it to be. Hi, it's Emma. And for those of you who don't know me yet, I lead the Researcher Development and Culture team at the University of Leeds. And this is a role that allows me to work on all different aspects of research culture. You're joining us in season one, where we're getting to know our co-hosts in a bit more detail before they go on to host seasons of their own. Each of our co-hosts has knowledge, experience and enthusiasm for a different area of our research culture at the University of Leeds. And I'm delighted today to be joined by Dr. Tony Bromley. Tony leads the provision for our postgraduate researchers, and I think it's fair to say he has a particular enthusiasm for dynamic development, which you will hear lots more about, <laughs> and LinkedIn learning. Absolutely, yes. <laughs> and I think now is also a really good opportunity to point out that Tony recorded the music that you hear in the intro and outro of this podcast. So, Tony, given your obvious musical skills, <laughs> if you were to receive a phone call from a band asking you to play guitar on their upcoming tour, who would you want that phone call to be from? No, it would have to be a band that has a, a rhythm guitarist, if I can say the word rhythm, rather than the lead guitarist. Oh, I don't know. It would be someone like, um, probably, it's all classic rock, so it would be someone like Deep Purple or ACDC or that sort of genre of music. I don't think I'm on stage person. I need to sit quietly in the background. <laughs> there we go. Okay. So luckily we didn't have um, a rock ballad for our uh, podcast intro and outro. <laughs> no. So, uh, yeah, we're here today to talk about research culture. Um, and as I've already said, you really enjoy working with our postgraduate researchers. But what is it about this particular community that you enjoy working with? I think it's it's a starting point, isn't it? I mean, some people clearly final year projects and bits and pieces have done some research uh, before, but it's getting in at the beginning with, with, with people. Um, there's also, you talked about enthusiasm. The postgraduate researchers also quite often come to the research with enthusiasm. I'm not saying that researchers further down the line don't have the enthusiasm, but it's it's just great to work with people at the beginning and seeing if we can support and help people, make, give them a good start to um, their research and also to start that process of saying to people that there's a world of opportunity out there don't start restricting yourself you've got the opportunity to do to learn your research and take it into all sorts of career type opportunities so I like to start with the people from the beginning I think and we've got a fair few here at Leeds haven't we so it's not a small group that you're working with well, going no. across all different um, disciplines as well any particular groups that might be your favorite <laughs> Do you, know, do you know what? I, I obviously my background is in the engineering um, field, and that's where that's obviously where I started. But it's the challenge of all all disciplines because you learn so much from so many different areas. And uh, whenever you speak to people, I do, for example, I do um, some one to one work on uh, Vivas. I always learn stuff. We did all the three minute thesis stuff years ago. And sometimes you forget that you're meant to be doing the development and the sports side and you just enjoy listening to them and learning, learning about various topics. So, yeah, I wouldn't I wouldn't choose anything particular. Have I, have I got to say that? Um, so it's all disciplines. <laughs> and that's the point, learning things for all the disciplines. So you're hedging your bets there a bit. Just a little um, bit. <laughs> so in terms of um, 
what I mentioned in the intro, dynamic development. Do you just want to give us a little bit of an overview of what that is? Because people might not have heard about it yet. I know you'll go into it in a bit more detail in your episodes, but this is a, a chance for you to kind of explain what it is. Yeah, as a starting point, a danger of filling a f- um, 20, 30, 40 minutes on the topic. Um, one of the things I, I was interested in is a model for how you personally develop. So I felt that we didn't, this is just looking back a few years now, we we did lots of linear skills, learn this skill, learn that skill, but we didn't necessarily give people a model that they could work with um, on how you actually approach personal development as an individual. Um, and v- very quickly, dynamic development, it's about situational analysis, it's about dispositional analysis. And the idea being that you understand yourself, you understand situations, and there should be some coming together in a happy sense. And I think there's plenty of people in all walks of life where they have a disposition that comes together with their employment situation, for example, and there's jarring and cogs falling off. So it was trying to encourage people to learn about themselves, learn about the employment situations they're interested in and making sure we can make a, as, as happier is marriage the right word? As happy a coming together between the individual, putting the right people in the right places and letting them do the analysis um, to support that happening. Brilliant. Is that good enough quick? Is that quick? I think so. And as I said, you'll be going into it in more detail when you come to do seasons of your own. Yeah. So you and I often have uh, conversations around where our postgraduates sit. Are they research staff and potential research leaders of the future or are they students? And I think that's possibly a topic for another episode. But do you think the culture is different for our postgraduate researchers? Do they have different challenges or issues? I think, um, I suppose philosophically, we all experience the same culture, but we perhaps see it from a different point of view, depending on where we are within that culture. The starting out PGR probably sees the culture different from the experienced professor or academic. But I think that the, 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 particularly the emphasis or the amplification at the postgraduate research side is that relationship between the supervisor and the power position that there is. And there's, you know, there's terrific supervisor relationships. There's also times when it, when it doesn't go the way we'd like it to go. Um, so that's one of the aspects that the postgraduate researcher always experiences. Um, and the other, the other aspect is that postgraduate researchers have all got the same target, whereas other levels of research um, people may have different things they want to do different directions they want to go but a postgraduate researcher is trying to achieve the PhD um, so they've all got a context of having the same target and from our professional uh, development point of view it sounds a bit strange but we're also we are training for and developing people for better words to actually leave the organization whereas at other levels of research you're supporting your staff developing them further to contribute to the organization and some of our pgrs do stay in the organization obviously but there is that element of us training people to leave um which makes it slightly makes it slightly different and i think it makes it in some respects it can make it better because you're talking about opportunity with people so would you say that's probably the biggest challenge they have um it, it probably is and it's probably it's how you um, get across to postgraduate researchers the positive um, side of the academic arena, uh, depending on, on the sort of supervisor, the sort of environment they have around them. 
And we all know about the, if I go to the classic science side of things, we all know the cliche supervisor who wants the researcher to stay in the laboratory 24 seven and, and doesn't want them doing anything else. Um, on the arts humanities side, there can be the isolated individual who isn't working on campus, but finds that they just don't have the interaction. They don't uh, meet with people. So I think there are some generalized umbrella sort of issues, um, power relationships with supervisors, isolation are general issues. Um, but then there will be more specifics of the situations and some people in the ideal world and more and more, and more I suppose all universities want to do this, want to do this that leads with our research cultures. We want our researchers across the board to have great relationships and great times as PhD students and then go away and tell everybody else to come and do a PhD at Leeds. So, yeah, I think, I don't, did I answer the question? I've almost forgotten what your question was now. <laughs> no, you've answered it. That was that was perfect. Thank you. Um, so in a similar format to the other episodes that I've recorded with other co-hosts, what do you think we're doing really well at Leeds? Um, is this another opportunity for me to talk about dynamic development? You can talk about whatever you want. <laughs> I'll, I'll, um, I'll put that for one side at a moment. I think what we've, we've got at Leeds and we continue working on this is over recent years, we've got a much more integrated system in that we, we brought a doctoral college in, gosh, I'm going to say five years. It might even be longer than that because you, you kind of lose track of these things. So we've got an umbrella doctoral college, and then we've got a number of services, particularly obviously ourselves, organisation development, professional learning, um, one of the major providers. But we have what you might expect, library service providers. We have career service providers and various others, counselling, et cetera. So we have a, a big group of people. We meet regularly, and I think we're all on the same page in terms of trying to support the researchers in front of us. So I think the way that works is really is really good. In recent years, particularly, I've been interested in changing our approaches to professional development, and that's where the dynamic development aspect came in. So one of the aspects was to change approach in terms of teaching a model to people that they can take a hold of, because what I want to see is more ownership, people taking more ownership of their personal professional development. Um, and the other aspect that we're, we've got this um, career catalyst program that we're going to we're introducing shortly with colleagues and uh, Ruth that you've spoken to uh, um, as part of the, of the podcast um, and this is a digital side because in a sense I think if I use the analog digital analogy if I can get the words out I think the traditional face-to-face -face mod, uh, models face-to-face uh, -face interactions clearly were human beings they still have their place but I'm kind of seeing that as the analog version um, now where you had to be in, uh, well, Tony's four times a year presentation skills workshop for three hours. And if you weren't there, that was your last and only opportunity to get some presentation support. So the, we've moved an awful lot of stuff digitally and online and using LinkedIn learning as a platform. We're getting some success uh, with that. It means that we're shifting to 24 seven availability of at least the information side as opposed to, if I'm talking about an analog model, it was only available at certain times um, per year. Uh, we have to still continue to work on the on the human interaction, how we get that right in the digital world. But I do feel like we're moving from an analog to a digital type setup. And, and I'm still learning as to what that digital in the, in the big inverted commas, um, what that whole picture means. Another aspect of the dynamic development where I'm trying to introduce is to move away, not a move away from skills, entirely but move to looking at the whole picture of employability the whole picture of the of the person because there's a danger 
with skill listing, skills listings. Of course, the famous one in our area is, is the research development framework. Um, there's nothing wrong with it per se, but I think it, there's far more to employability than collecting a list of skills. I mean, I don't think anybody, if you ask somebody how they got there, well, we'll stick to the sort of the cliche academic role. If you ask somebody how they got the academic role, I can't imagine they would say that they saw a list of skills, they collected the skills, and then they were they were given the academic role. Now, that's not what the skills list says to do, but it's kind of a danger of mapping programs across skills. You're more likely you'll ask people and they'll say, well, one thing is I was in the right place at the right time. Um, I knew this academic. I went to a conference and met Dave, Jane, Fred. Um, so they're only small aspects, but it's, I want... What we're doing, I think, is developing a more holistic, a whole picture. Let's include everything. Skills is important, but for the career development, you've got to look at the whole person and the whole situation. I remember there was one, I'm in danger of talking too long. There was one session that me and you were in, Emma, with some postdoctoral researchers, and we used the dynamic development. It has a particular diagram that we use as situational and disposition analysis. And when we're talking about situational analysis of getting a job, one person mentioned that for academic jobs, it's quite common that actually when they're advertising a job, they've already got somebody in mind and that, you know, they're going to probably get that job anyway. Mm -hmm. And this was an absolute revelation to somebody around the table. They hadn't realized that that can be the case. So that's only one thing, but it's nothing to do with skills. So if there's overemphasis on, emphasis on skills, which is important, then you never understand and feel the whole picture of employability. And that's more what I want to paint, be it good or bad I want to paint the whole picture and we're starting to do that and we want to continue doing that that was a long answer <laughs> but one one that you know I agree with I think it's really <laughs> important that the individual is at the heart of their development we have an idea of what we might want to to show them but ultimately it is their development only they can make that decision so yeah. have we got it all sorted then Tony can we sit back <laughs> and say job done no, I think um, I'll use the cliche again. We're on the journey, and I think it started a few years ago, but it's an important journey. One of the things that I felt was really important recently is the, the university, as universities do, we looked at its employability strategy, so developed an employability strategy at, at the undergraduate level. Um, but then uh, there was clear arguments that while it was an interesting basis, it, it needed modification of changes for the postgraduate research side. Uh, and we've we've made those um, changes and we now have, I think, a very good postgraduate research. Um, well, futures and opportunities strategy seems to be the language rather than employability. But the reason I mentioned that is just related to the last uh, point that the, the headline for that, where you put the sort of, it's, I, I guess it's a mission or vision statement. It very much talks about the individual. So previous statements have in a sense talked about making global people who are globally active in the jobs market and but this one isn't it doesn't say that it's saying that we want to give you the support that you need for what your aspirations are and I much prefer that as, as, a, as a way forward and we've kept that postgraduate research one as well as undergraduate one so it, you know building what you just said Emma is we are moving much more personalized which I think is really important. So what would you like to see happen in the next five years? Um, I want us to continue developing the way we are. So I think we've got some really good things happening. We've got some really good jigsaw pieces. And I'm 
still learning those jigsaw pieces. Um, so if I come back to Career Catalyst, um, one of the great things about LinkedIn Learning, because I haven't done me soapbox on LinkedIn Learning, um, it's the connections with LinkedIn and LinkedIn Learning and making sure, well, as a university, we're, we're lucky because we buy into LinkedIn Learning and all, all the students and staff across campus can log in for free. Not every institution does that. But what it does is it gives you the digital AI-driven side. So LinkedIn allows you to, and, and plenty of people uh, listening will know this, but it's something like 800 million. Every Roof keeps telling me a number that increases each time. So something like 800 million people in LinkedIn uh, that you in, you can interrogate. So rather than having generic, what skills should I need to be a biologist? What skills do I need to work in? Uh, a, a, uh, what, what else should we have <laughs> in the arts? Um, you can now look at alumni who have been from your program, or in fact, alumni from any university around the world who've done what you've done, and you can see the careers, and you can look at people at all sorts of career stages, see what they've achieved, see the careers they've had. You can then personally put together your own specific listing of skills that you want, uh, that you think you need to develop to achieve what you want to achieve. And then if you actually, if you put that into LinkedIn learning and, um, and tell it what you're interested in, then the AI will kick in. And it will, if you go on your homepage, it does the whole Amazon thing. You, you looked at this last week, people in your area are looking at this, people interested in this industry are looking at this. And the other bonus with LinkedIn Learning as a platform is that we can add in our own University of Leeds um, provision. That's what we've been doing. We put loads of stuff in there. So the AI does the work for us and the individual as well. And there's less um, searching. There's some input you need to do in terms of looking around, seeing what you're interested in. But in combination with LinkedIn, LinkedIn Learning, the provision we put in there, that's the the crux of the digitalization side of things and i want to continue doing that and so we've got we've got a program coming in, in october and hopefully we'll see how it's received and we'll push on but it's a big learning curve for us as well it it's, quite a, it's quite a change in approaches to career development i think i don't know if anybody else is doing it perhaps somebody listening in might tell me if they are yeah absolutely get in touch if you are so tony it's been absolutely fantastic talking to you today it's clear you've got a real passion for this there's still work to do um, so what I'm going to do now is leave the rest of this episode to you so that you can describe what's coming up in your season and I believe you have drawn the short straw and got season two so you're up immediately after this one what can our listeners expect <laughs> yes I'm uh, season two um, so the one of the things that we, we have at Leeds um, is research education development scholarship conference which is originally started by a big shout out to Kay Guccione. She started it when she was at Sheffield University, um, but it's it's one that we run and manage now. So for my series, uh, the, is, the conference is in October and we've got um, a load of presenters and a number of them have very thankfully said that they would like to, they'd be happy to do a podcast with me. So um, I've got around half a dozen lined up so far and we're going to talk, uh, talk about their respective presentations. Uh, this year, the topic of the conference is very much research culture, which is one of the reasons I'm doing it. And it is about how, you know, how do we stop losing research talent from research? And it goes into all of the, the access, diversity and multiple research culture issues that there are in both people doing research and people getting involved in research. So, uh, you know, tune in. There'll be at least six episodes. We start with our keynote 
speaker as well. Um, so I'll, is that enough? Should I leave it there? <laughs> Join us for the second series. Thanks for listening to the Research Culture Uncovered podcast. Please subscribe so you never miss out on our brand new episodes. And if you're enjoying the discussions, give us some love by dropping a five-star rating and written review as it helps other research culturists find us. And please share with a friend and show them how to subscribe. Email us at academicdev at leeds.ac.uk. Thanks for listening and here's to you and your research culture.